0: today is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body, for the edifying of itself in love. Good morning. As was announced, I am not Andy Baker, I'm John Baker. Andy's older, less handsome, less talented brother. We are doing a preacher swap today, and I'm really thankful to the elders here, to all of you for, for allowing us to do this. Uh, Andy is working on a, um, a, doing a, a, a song leading and, and singing workshop with the Katie congregation, and I'm really thankful that he's able to do that. And so um, he's, he's doing that, and I'm speaking to you this morning. We just traded. Uh, but thank you so much for allowing me the privilege of being able to be with you. It's good to see all of you. And when I think about the Graber Road congregation, I think about a sister congregation. I, I think about the things that I hear about you doing and the, see you doing in, in your faith and in your works. And I'm just so thankful for what you're doing in the kingdom here. I'm thankful that Andy labors among you, of course, but... There's a lot more ties than just the fact that John and Andy happen to preach for these two congregations. Uh, a lot of history, a lot of connections, a lot of family ties, a lot of friendships between the two churches. And we're just really, really thankful for what you're doing. I give thanks to God for you. You know, this week I was visiting with the brother in Christ and we were talking about the pandemic. And it had been a year since he and I had actually had lunch. In fact, the last time we had lunch was right before the lockdowns began. And so we were reminiscing about all that's changed and all that's happened. And he stopped and and asked me a question that I think is a good question. How is the church doing? And he's a member of the church at Katy. And of course, he's involved in many works. But he wanted my perspective on that. What, What do I think? How is the church doing? If I were to ask you the question... How is the church where you worship doing? How would you answer that question? What kind of standard would you use to measure the church? You know, typically we have some responses that we would give to a question like that. For example, um, let me see if I can make my clicker work here. They told me it would work. They said, John, just switch it on. Oh, there it goes. Okay. All right. I'm trying to connect. They said this was the good one. Yeah, okay. There are some common standards that people use when we ask a question, how is the church doing? How are things going with the brethren, with the people of God and the place where we worship? Some of the common standards are ones that would be familiar to you. For example, he's going to bring me another one. Attendance. That's one of the first things that people ask about. How many people worship where you preach? How many people worship at the congregation where you attend? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhort one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so certainly one of the standards people would use is attendance. But not just that, people might use reputation. Some congregations have a reputation in their communities, and they have a reputation in the brotherhood for for being a certain kind of congregation, a congregation that's really zealous for reaching out to the community, or a congregation that's really interested in making sure that God's word is promoted in foreign countries, they're they're mission-minded. And so, a reputation. In Revelation 3, verse 1, when Jesus wrote a letter to the church at Sardis, he said, You have a name, you have a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. So just because we have a reputation doesn't necessarily mean that it's the same reputation the Lord would give it. Some congregations are characterized by great numerical growth, especially if we're in a community that's growing demographically. Sometimes that has an effect on the Lord's church. New families move into town and they're members of the church already and they place membership and that's a wonderful thing. There are opportunities for Bible studies. And so when somebody asks the question, well, how is the church doing? We might look at these things. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible makes mention of the fact that the number of the disciples was multiplying rapidly. And that was a good thing. And it's a good thing even today when that still happens. Sometimes there's a well-known work. There are some congregations that have established, for example, schools of preaching. There are some congregations that have a mission work in a certain country. And they have supported that work for years and years and years and have done wonderful things and it's really well known. Some congregations have workshops and seminars characteristically that are well known across our brotherhood. And so the fact that there's a well-known work that people know about this congregation and what it's working with and the kinds of things that it's doing, common standards. And so when somebody asks, how do you measure the church? How do you evaluate whether a church is doing well or not? We might throw out one of these types of things, but there are some problems. There are some problems with using these things exclusively as our standards. For example, problem number one. We are generally, in those, in those particular factors, we're focusing on things that are easily seen. I mean, what can you see with your eyes? What can you measure empirically? And yet, the Bible says that when Samuel went to select the next king of Israel... In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, that God reminded him that the Lord doesn't see as man sees. The Lord looks at the heart, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. So maybe we're just focusing too much on things that are easily seen. Or there's a tendency for us, as we think about whether the church is doing well or not, there's a tendency for us to overemphasize some areas and to underemphasize others. We could put too much emphasis on numerical growth and not enough emphasis on spiritual growth, for example. In Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6, that was the condemnation of the church at Sardis. Again, the church that was named as if it had been alive. That is, people thought about that congregation. They said, they're a great congregation. They're doing so well. But Jesus says, you don't realize that you're dead. And there's only a few of you in the church that haven't soiled your garments, that haven't gone into a place that displeases the Lord. And so the church at Sardis, like many other congregations throughout history, tended to overemphasize the appearance of things and underemphasize being devoted to God from the heart. Loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, Matthew 22, verse 37. There is a potential as well that we will misjudge. When we just use external things and we just use standard ways of analyzing, how is the church doing? There's a tendency for us to misjudge. In James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, the Bible warns us about criticizing our brethren. It says, when you criticize your brother, when you speak evil of him, you crawl up into the judge's seat and you take the place that is rightfully reserved for God and you not only sit in judgment on your brother, you sit in judgment on the law of God itself. That's the accusation James makes in James 4, 11, and 12. We tend to criticize things and we tend to judge things inappropriately when we use just some common ways of evaluating. How's the church doing? So what I'd like for us to do with our study this morning is this. I'd like for us to look in the pages of the New Testament for a few minutes and ask the question, How would the Lord answer the question? How's the church doing? How would the Apostle Paul, for example, answer the question? How's the church doing? Are we doing well? Are we making progress? Are we going backward? And how would we know? What criteria, what what factors would cause us to stop and think about whether the church is doing well? In the first place this morning I'd like for us to just think for a few minutes about a biblical way to measure. A biblical way to measure. And as we read the pages of the New Testament there are many things that you could point to and say, "Well, the church is really doing well because we see the church doing this." But I see characteristically in scripture there are three three specific areas that the Bible repeatedly brings up. And this is not just true of the church. Listen to me, this is true of homes. Moms and dads and kids and grandparents, and this is also true of individuals. How am I doing personally? These three words that I'm about to share with you, they are characteristic of whether I'm doing well spiritually, whether my home is doing well, and whether the church is doing well. What are these three words? In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, we read, Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. And the greatest of these is love. I submit to you this morning that when someone asks the question, How is the church doing? or when someone asks you, How are you doing? or when we, in a moment of self examination, ask ourselves, Am I living in a way that pleases God? I submit to you this morning that those three words ought to be at the very front of our minds and they ought to be at the very front of our answer. Because those three words encompass what it means to be faithful and pleasing to the Lord. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three. The greatest of these is love. And what I want to do for just a minute as we look at this is just show you that I'm not making this up. It's right there in your Bible, just like it is in mine. I'm putting the, the passages themselves on the screen for you for time's sake so that as we turn, but you might want to just jot down these references in your notes and think about these things and listen to what's being said as churches are evaluated in the New Testament. Notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, The Apostle Paul had gone to Thessalonica and he had preached the gospel and people had obeyed the gospel. And the Bible says that many had been converted. And Paul had to very quickly leave Thessalonica. In fact, the church was just a few months old when Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians. And listen to how he introduces his letter to this infant church. Brand new. This congregation had not been meeting together for even a year when this letter was written. And here's what Paul writes about them. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. What was Paul interested in when he prayed about the church at Thessalonica? He was interested in their work of faith. They're working and they're showing by their works that they trust. They have faith in God. But not only that, what did Paul remember? He remembered their labor of love. The fact that these people showed by their lives that they loved God and they loved one another. And they loved their neighbors as themselves. What else did Paul remember and pray about? Your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's an infant congregation And what they're commended for is their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. You could say, well, I'm glad they were doing well in those areas. But it's not just so that you can say, wow, that's interesting. It's so that as the church at Graber Road or the church at Katy or the church anywhere in the world stops and asks the question, how's the church doing? We have some biblical ways to evaluate and measure how are we doing? Another passage, 2 Thessalonians, written shortly on the heels of 1 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, here's what the apostle writes. Same congregation. What's he going to say about them? What's he going to say when he greets them? He says, we ought always to give thanks to our God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for another for one another is increasing i want to say a couple things before we leave this particular passage hope is not mentioned here because actually hope was the big problem that the thessalonians had in second thessalonians there were some people teaching that jesus had already come and paul had to deal with that in second thessalonians chapter 2 the the, the the false idea that the lord had already returned and they'd missed it so hope was the major problem they had but also notice this It says very specifically that this congregation's faith was in the Lord Jesus. They believed in who Jesus is. They trusted in what Jesus was able to do. And their confidence didn't just stop when they were baptized. They didn't just believe in Jesus until they were immersed and now we're on our own. They kept on believing in Jesus. And that affected everything about how they thought about their lives and they thought about their work and they thought about their relationships. Their faith was in Christ. But notice, secondly, who the love is for in this passage. Pay very careful attention. Who is the object of love? What does it say? Your love for one another. When I have a Bible study with somebody, I always, always try to emphasize these points. When we become Christians, it's about me and God. It's about me and my relationship with God. God will forgive us of our sins. God will wash us clean, and that's a wonderful thing. But in the New Testament, you also see that when I am washed clean by God, when I become a Christian, one of the effects of being a Christian is that I start to love other Christians. And I can't effectively be growing in ways that please God unless I'm loving other Christians. Somebody says, well, why do I have to, why should I attend services? Why should I be a part, an active part of the body of Christ that meets at Graver Road or wherever you worship? Why should I do that? It's because this is a mark of spiritual health. Your faith is in Jesus and your love is for fellow saints. That's what the Bible teaches. What do you see in the church where you worship? Do you see faith in Christ? Do you see love for one another? Another passage, Colossians 1, verses 3 through 5, lest we just limit this to Thessalonica. There was a church in a city called Colossae. Paul had never been to Colossae. Paul did not establish the church at Colossae. A man named Epaphroditus did, Epaphras, excuse me. He established the congregation at Colossae. And so as Paul writes to them in Colossians 1 verses 3 through 5, here's what he writes. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of, and here it is again, your faith. And who's their faith in? Their faith is in Christ. And we also heard of the love that you have for all the saints. There it is again. It's a love not just for my fellow man, although that's necessary. It's not a love for the lost, although that's essential. It is a love specifically for one another. And because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. How's the church doing in Colossae? Paul says, they've got faith in Jesus. They've got love for all the saints and they've got a hope that they've heard about and it's laid up for them in heaven and they're living as if this world is not their home. They're living as if they're gonna be somewhere forever. They have hope and it shows. That's how they evaluated churches in the New Testament. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16, and again in verse 18 of that chapter, The book of Ephesians, written to a congregation in a place called Ephesus, Paul's praying for them. He says, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, there's those expressions again, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then when you get down to verse 18, the apostle Paul writes, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. How's the church doing in Ephesus? What are you praying about for the church? You know, when I think about the way I pray for the church, a lot of times I pray for spiritual growth and I pray for people to know the Lord and I pray for people to have a better relationship. But if I think biblically, I really ought to be praying about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really ought to be praying about the hope that all of us share. And I really ought to be praying that we would know that hope better. And I really ought to be praying that we would love one another more. Especially, especially when other people, other Christians are hard to get along with. Because that never happens here at Graber Road, does it? Fellow Christians are not hard to get along with here. Sometimes, I'll just tell you, sometimes in Katy, brethren are kind of hard to get along with. And we don't always see eye to eye on some things. And we need to love one another in the midst of those things. Because you see... Jesus puts us into the church so that we can love one another, and Jesus also uses our brethren to chip off our rough edges and to mold us and to make us more like him. It's his body, and one of the reasons why God allows us to experience conflict in the body sometimes is not so much so that we can win our arguments, it's so that we can become more like Jesus, love for all the saints. You look at passages, biblical way to measure. Hebrews 10, 22 through 24. I'm almost done with this section of the lesson, I promise. But I want to make the point, this is how churches are evaluated in the New Testament. This is the measurement. This is the way that Bible writers measured congregations. Hebrews 10, 22 through 24, you might recognize this is the passage that talks about why we ought to attend. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But I want you to see as you read this passage, it's also about faith, hope, and love. Look at what it says. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold on to that hope. Hold on to the promises of God. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How do Bible writers evaluate congregations? Faith, hope, and love is the answer. You turn over to the book of Revelation. You read those letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Not all of them contain faith, hope, and love per se, but they all contain these elements. Jesus writes to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, verse 4, you have left your first love. In Revelation 2, verse 10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He didn't say, have another gospel meeting and grow the church by 20% and make sure that your budget is, he said, be faithful until death. That's how I know that you're doing well. How do we know that we're doing well in the Lord's sight? You did not deny my faith. When other people started to speak against the gospel and they started to undermine godliness, you held on to it. You didn't deny it. How do we know we're doing well in the Lord's sight? Revelation 2, verses 18 and 19. I know your works. Jesus says, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience or hope. Even the Lord Jesus looks at congregations and says, what I'm looking for in the church at Graber Road is faith and hope and love. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that want our attention. With all that said, And by the way, there are many other passages in the New Testament that would bear this out as well. Let's do this. Let's use the remainder of our time this morning to ask the question, how do you measure faith in a congregation? And how do you measure hope? And how do you measure love? In a New Testament church in 2021, what kinds of questions, as we ask the question, how's the church doing, should we be asking? Measuring faith, first of all. When we measure faith, we might ask questions like this. By the way, faith always has an object. Faith is in a person. It's not just saying, well, I hope things are good. I hope things get better. And, you know, we're just going to float this out there and see if it works. No, faith is listening to who Jesus is and putting our trust and our confidence in him. And so as we ask questions about measuring faith, we ought to ask questions like this. Number one, is the Bible being boldly preached and taught. Jude verse 3, contend earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. Congregations are as strong as the pulpits or as weak as the pulpits that they hear from on a weekly basis. No congregation ever became stronger than the teaching that they regularly hear. And so there needs to be an emphasis. Is the whole counsel of God being emphasized? Not just bits and pieces, not like you go to the cafeteria and you just pick the things that you like, but eating everything that's found in the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. Matthew 4, verse 4. Acts 20, 27. I did not shun to declare you the whole counsel of God. Congregations need a steady diet of God's word. All of God's word. Not observing the Passover on difficult topics and difficult subjects and difficult issues is the whole counsel of God being taught. As we think about questions regarding faith, is soul winning a priority? Is it? In the church where you worship, where you work, is soul winning a priority? In Proverbs 11 verse 30, the Bible says, He who wins souls is wise. Is the congregation where we work evangelistic? Are we reaching our neighbors and the lost for the glory of God? You know, Jesus did that very thing. And if our faith is in him, we're going to be like him. We believe in his mission. Here's a question. This is a question elders ought to spend some time thinking about and praying about. To what extent do people understand the gospel? And when I say to what extent do they understand the gospel, what I mean is this. The conditions of the gospel, the conditions of obeying God are to hear and to believe and to repent and to confess Jesus' name and to be baptized. Those are the conditions. But when I talk about the gospel, I'm talking about, yes, the conditions, but more than just the conditions. Do people know how and why they're saved? Do they understand what it means that Jesus washed them from their sins? Do they understand that they didn't earn that, that they just accepted a gift that Jesus offered by his grace at the cross? Do people understand and appreciate those things? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, the Bible says it's by grace you've been saved uh, uh, through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Do we understand that God has saved us and he's done so through the work of Christ on the cross? Is the church active in works of faith the things that we do are we just entertaining ourselves are we just pleasing ourselves or is there faith involved in what we're doing again in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 your work of faith your labor of love your patience of hope the idea of people working and getting to work because they believe so much in Jesus Christ how's the church doing what do you see in their faith here's another question Are Christ-like virtues easy to see? Is it easy for us to see patience and kindness? Is it easy for us to see the boldness of Christ and the way he taught? Is it easy for us to see that Jesus really is our hope? He really is our everything. He really is our all. Those are questions of faith. How do you measure faith? Those are questions. How do you measure hope? Some more questions to ask every congregation, every family, you know, stop and think about these things. We might have a quote-unquote Christian home, but we never really talk about the Lord Jesus, and we never really talk about the gospel, and we never really talk about what we're doing because we belong to Christ. It's not just churches, it's families, and it's individuals that this applies to. How do you measure hope? What do you hear when you hear the church pray? I would challenge you as homework this afternoon to read Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, one of the first prayers that the church offered in the New Testament. They were being persecuted and they prayed about that persecution. And instead of asking for God to deliver them from their persecution, you know what they asked for? Boldness. So that they could keep on preaching. That's hope. We know this message is true, O God. We know your word is right and we ask for boldness that so we can keep on determining to do what you want us to do. How does the church pray? Does the church focus on God's promises? They are immutable promises. They cannot be denied. God does not lie. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. And when we think about hope, listen to me very carefully. When we think about the question of hope, hope always is found in the promises of God. What has God promised that he will do? He's promised to be with us. Hebrews 13, verse 5 he's promised to provide for us Matthew 6 verse 33 he's promised that all things work together for good for us for those who are called according to his his uh, his will Romans chapter 8 verse 28 he's promised hope is found in his promises is the church hopeful generally or discouraged generally every congregation goes through periods of discouragement every person goes through periods where we're down But when we ask the question, is the church hopeful or discouraged? We're asking the question, do we know that there's something better out ahead for us? Do we realize that with God, the best is, really is, yet to be in the future? 1 Peter 1 verse 21, because of the resurrection of Jesus, there is hope. The New Testament would have us to ask, to what extent do we demonstrate that this world is not our home? This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. We're not to be building palaces and mansions here so that we can, you know, take our ease and rest and say, you know, eat, drink, be merry. We are to be pilgrims and sojourners in this life. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. To what extent do we manifest that in our lives, in our speech, in the life of the church? Those are questions about hope. Is the resurrection of Jesus being emphasized? When the Bible talks about hope, it talks about the resurrection, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and the fact that Jesus is gonna return one day and everyone's going to rise from the dead. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, comfort one another with words like this. They're words of hope. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, God has begotten us again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches Those are hope questions. And then as we evaluate the church and we measure and ask, how's the church doing? How about love? Love questions. And remember very carefully, yes, we're supposed to love God and yes, we're supposed to love the lost, but we're talking about a special kind of love here, biblically. We're talking about love for all the saints, love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Some questions worth considering. Number one. Are patience and kindness easily seen in the church where you worship? Patience and kindness. Tonight, by the way, the lesson is going to be entitled Blessed Are the Merciful, for They Shall Obtain Mercy. You know what? We're living in a day and a time when people need to show one another mercy. And if we don't find mercy anywhere else, we ought to find it, we better find it among the people of God. Blessed are the merciful. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, love shows mercy. Are those things easily seen in the church at Graver Road? Another question, is sacrificial giving common? Because we love one another. You know why those Macedonians gave so liberally, so generously in 2 Corinthians 8? It was because they knew that money was going to a benevolent relief effort for their brethren in Jerusalem. And they loved their brethren. They loved the other saints in another place so much that they begged Paul, take this money. They were poor. And Paul said, you guys, you're going above and beyond what you're able to do. And the Macedonians said, no, we want to do this. We want to give sacrificially. That's why Paul bragged on them, 2 Corinthians 8. Because they loved their brethren and they gave sacrificially. Is loving discipline practiced? You know, if we really love people and they're living in sin, we can't just leave them in their sin and say, you know what? They're going to have to figure that out. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 11. If you love each other, if you love the saints, accountability, serving the Lord together, those things have got to be emphasized. How about this? When we resolve conflicts, they don't always get resolved in a way that glorifies God, do they? But when we resolve conflicts, our forgiveness and grace, the end result of that conflict being resolved. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32 commands us not to be angry and bitter and resentful toward one another. The Bible says in Ephesians 4:32, we ought to be kind. We ought to be tender-hearted. We ought to forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. How's the church doing? Do we resolve conflicts that way? To what degree is servanthood evident? Mark 10, 45, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Is the church a church full of servants through love serve one another galatians 5:13 when we ask the question how's the church doing when we evaluate the people of god when we evaluate the health of a congregation biblically i believe the first three words ought to be where is our faith can you see it what kind of hope do we have is it evident What kind of love do we show, especially for the people of God? Can you measure that? And if a congregation, whether it's four people, whether it's 400 people, if a congregation shows the attributes of faith, hope, and love, it's a congregation that is healthy and vibrant and spiritually pleasing to God. Those are things that are well worthy of all of our prayers and attention. Maybe you're here this morning. You're not a New Testament Christian. The way that someone obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ is by putting their faith in him. By saying that I believe Jesus can redeem me from my sin and nobody else can do that. I believe that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I want to confess him. And I want to repent of my sin. I don't want to live this way anymore. And then be baptized. Be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. The baptism that we encounter in scripture is called the new birth, John chapter three, verse five. When we're immersed, we are born again. And maybe you need to be born again this morning. If that's true of you, or if we can help you by praying for you, praying with you, heaven's invitation is yours this morning. Won't you come forward while together we stand and while we sing?